Eat, Drink, Smoke, where we eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars. Michael Bloomberg has officially made everybody crazy. And now he has set the world on fire because he's talking about bringing Hillary on for the race. Then there's Alabama legislators who want to force you to have a vasectomy. What was the other one that you were just talking about? Oh, Siri. Siri is afraid of guns. So it is a full-on show uh, today. And thank you to everybody who held on. I was in Washington, D.C. for the State of the Union. I was in New Hampshire for the primary. So we've been busy, and the weekend's been busy. And so good to be back. Fingers Malloy is with me here. Today, we're doing a cigar and rum pairing. Uh, the people at Blend Bar Cigar, where we record Blend Bar Cigar, they're in Indianapolis, they're in Pittsburgh, they're in Houston, they're in Nashville. Uh, they're like, hey, we're, this is our pairing of the month. You should check it out. And I'm like, okay, what is it? Well, it's, it's rum, and it's a Nicaragua from Davidoff. I'm like, we've done the Nicaragua. And they're like, have you done the box press? I'm like, I want to say we have, but I'm willing to do it again. <laughs> I'm totally down. It's what, been what a, a good problem to have. Right? God bless America. Uh, but the, this we're doing a rum. Now, if you don't know anything about rum, rum is sugarcane. From beginning uh, to end, the cut cane is then crushed. It extracts uh, the juice from uh, the, the fibrous pulp. I saw fibrous pulp open up for Oingo Boingo there in 1986. Um, and then from there, from that juice, uh, you can proceed directly to, to the fermentation, or you can cook it down, concentrate it, into a, a syrup, and then you can turn it into molasses, all sorts of, uh, of, of other things. You, you, you heat it up, you work it out, and then you get to the rum. This rum is the Diplomatico Ambassador right here. Got the Golden Barrel Award for 2011, Master Rum Blender of uh, the Year there for Tito Cordero. Uh, this is 47% alcohol by volume. Uh, and then it, this got matured in bourbon barrels in two years in what are known as Pedro uh, Jimenez casks. I'm not sure what to expect. Bourbon, I mean, rum has never been my game. This is a wonderfully dark, dark amber color to it. Not as syrupy as you would think. Much more liquidy than it is a syrupy. We do this neat. We do have a rock side. Uh, for it, the nose is going to give you almond and hazelnut. There's going to be uh, a lot of the, of, it's it's rum, a lot of the sweets, a bit of 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 apple in there as well. Also, some banana on the nose. It's it weirdly does have a very a slight medicinal after on the nose, which is kind of kind of surprising. When I tell you what do I know about rum, the only time I've done rum is when it's in Coke. I've never done a rum. Just yeah. for doing the rum. And I mean, like Myers Dark Rum is something I've tasted before, but it's that's never been my... There was a time. Ah. Uh, I went on vacation once. When and I, I was had, 17. Right? I had some coconut rum. It was a very good Malibu uh, year. A, a Malibu coconut rum, a big old bottle of it. Not the fifth, but the bigger one. The bigger bottle. Not the fifth, right? but the, the bigger one. The Costco one. bottle. Yeah, the Costco bottle. And I was told cranberry juice and that would be good. So I tried that. And then somebody said pineapple juice uh, with that would be good. And then after my 10th, I realized it's pretty good by itself. Right? You don't, the last thing you need are mixers. You don't yeah. need that unnecessary sugar. Right? Then I was like Barney Gumble passed out on the beach at 3 o'clock in the morning. The, the palate on this, Barney Gumble, by the way, is a Simpsons reference in case you were wondering. Just know your references. That's all I'm saying. Know your memes. Know your references. Rich and fruity, a buttery biscuit base, cinnamon, dried apricots, dates, and Nutella. 
I don't. That's what they say the palate is. Uh, then it's going to finish with a thick honey and allspice. Don't we all finish with thick honey? So I'm just I'm going. You getting your water right there? Yeah, I gotta just clear out here on, on the palate. This is there's a lot happening on the nose. I will say the nose is lovely. Like you almost want to pour it over ice cream, right? It's got that kind of. I've been drinking their fantastic you know, so. coffee here, so I had to cleanse the palate a little. Oh, so so that's where this all comes from. Originally, I was going to suggest we do coffee because the expression of it grows together, it goes together, is absolutely real. And that's why they picked this rum to go with this uh, cigar, this, this, this Nicaraguan. I'm more and more drifting away from a cigar with bourbon and more and more drifting in cigars with coffee. It's stunning how this – it's not – I'm enjoying bourbon more. I'm enjoying rye specifically more. But it's amazing how that is coming together. Let's try this. We've done the nose. Let's take a sip to you. This is the Diplomatico Ambassador uh, from uh, uh, Rum right here. And Fingers is working a sip, and he's taking a sip. We're doing it neat. He's not okay. Hold on. You all right? Uh, I don't know what to make of that. It is very sweet. Very, very sweet. Yeah. Sweeter than I thought it was ever going to be. This is not like any rum I've ever had before. First, this goes down super easy. There is literally no burn anywhere. Nothing is burning. A little heat maybe in the, in the mid-chest. That went down super smooth. I'm, I do not know about buttery. If buttery refers to just a, a general syrupy kind of flavor, okay. I don't know if I would go for buttery. I also don't know if I would believe in, in, in Nutella. It has a. There's nothing wrong with that. Though. It has a pancake syrup kind of feel to it. Yeah, but but it doesn't it doesn't play that way. But it does feel that way a little bit. I I want this thing to. I'm I'm gonna do the rock because I want this Ooh, to yeah. open up. Oh, I thought for a minute you were gonna pour it in the coke. No, no, what's wrong with you? I'm better than that. Yeah, it's so. There's a lot happening here, but it's 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 not easy to kind of diagnose because as as some people would describe this with the dates and the, and the buttery and the Nutella and the apricot I don't, I don't know if I'm there apricot for me is always a hard one because me, to me that just signifies a sugary sweet right because the only way you know apricot is with dried apricot right the, the, the stuff that grandma would keep you know in a, in a bowl somewhere next to the Werther's originals there's no other way to, to diagnose that so I'm going to let this sit on the cube for a second and let me get into this Bloomberg Hillary story because the amount of people, I'm trying to figure out who the Michael Bloomberg supporter is. And I, and I want to be clear, this isn't about your politics. Because I, I, I was there in New Hampshire for the primaries. I could tell you all the stories. My run-in with Joe Biden. How Amy Klobuchar ran away from me. I could tell you every single, which is so great, every one of these stories. But it came out literally an hour before we got to the podcast. Okay, we're going to have to revisit both of those, by the way. <laughs> You're not just going just to throw that nugget out there and then walk away from it. Michael Bloomberg is considering Hillary Clinton as his vice president. That's what he wants. Supposedly, the campaign has done the polling, and uh, it polls well. Now, here's where you have to be with Michael Bloomberg. He got into the race late, and he is not really running until South Carolina, but really Super Tuesday. So Super Tuesday is a whole uh, amalgamation of states, California. And, and New York is in there, and, and a couple others. Then after that, you have what they call the Acela primary. That's Maryland, and, and I think Pennsylvania's in there. So up and down that, that eastern seaboard. These are the places where Mike Bloomberg plans on cleaning up. Normally, 
This is a very bad strategy. The last person to really try this was Rudy Giuliani in 2008, and it went miserably for him. The difference between Bloomberg and Giuliani, they're both former mayors of New York, is that Bloomberg has $53 billion, and he is spending like wildfire. This is creating great consternation amongst the Democratic Party because the people who are supporting Bernie Sanders, supporting Pete Buttigieg, supporting Amy Klobuchar are saying he's buying the vote. His staff, staff members, not campaign managers, staff members make more than campaign managers on other campaigns. Every, can, every person on the campaign gets a MacBook Pro and an iPhone 11 Pro right when they start, immediately when they start. It's three meals a day, all craft services, all done, all set for you. It's like working for Google. <laughs> is, is, is Mike Bloomberg running for president? And you could say, yeah, it's, it's his money. He can do what he wants. I don't disagree with that. The argument the Democratic Party is making, at least the, the, the people who follow this, are saying that he's trying to buy the vote, and that's not right. That's exactly the thing that they oppose. He also is trying to buy polling, and there's conversations about whether or not he's planting people, paying people to create memes about him, and, and doing a lot of this stuff. Well, he now thinks, according to the polling, according to the work he's done, that Hillary Clinton would be the perfect running mate and it would be a very formidable team against Donald Trump. And that's where you have to come to a full stop and ask yourself, what the hell is going on in this race for president? And how could it get more completely awesome? How could it get more amazing than the socialist Bernie Sanders being the front runner after winning really the first two contests? Iowa, every, him and Pete Buttigieg could both declare victory. He definitely won New Hampshire. He's, on, he's in the lead right now in Nevada. He might very well be in the lead when we get to South Carolina. Holy mackerel. What world do we live in where Hillary Clinton comes back as a vice presidential, can, pre presidential candidate, and do you think she would? Yes, of course. Really? Of course she would. Uh, anything to make history. But here's the deal. Let, let, let's, <laughs> let me walk through this and, and help me out here, Tony. You had Iowa, which was a complete disaster. Total cluster. The head of the Iowa Democratic Party uh, resigned. That's how bad it was. And many people believe that Bernie Sanders won that convincingly, but there was some chicanery, some back uh, shenanigans, shenanigans and uh, they had to hold that victory uh, announcement from Bernie Sanders because it feels like the establishment Democratic uh, establishment uh, people in the Democratic Party don't want Bernie Sanders. Only feels that way? Yeah. No, let's it, put it, that as fact. Yeah, it is The fact. Democratic establishment hates Bernie Sanders, will do anything to keep him from getting the nomination. And again, this isn't about your politics. Watching that happen is ugly as sin because people who feel a certain way, whether we think they're right or wrong, they're completely having their vote stolen from them. Right. It's ugly. And so I'm supposed to believe that Michael Bloomberg is going to swoop in with his billions of dollars into a party that keeps repeatedly part of their platform is we need to get money out of politics. We need to get money out of politics. This guy is going to swoop in, steal Bernie Sanders' nomination again. And by the way, I'm going to put on the ticket the woman who stole it from him the last time. Yep. It's not going to happen. You're watching it happen. It, I, okay, well. So, only but, but I get your point. There's no rational way, no reasonable way that this could possibly happen. That Bloomberg could actually rise in the polls, but he's got, for example, Judge Judy behind him. He's got other 
they think he's a moderate. We should be clear, Michael Bloomberg is not a moderate. Michael Bloomberg doesn't believe you have a Second Amendment right at all. Michael Bloomberg wants to control what you eat. Mike, uh, remember, this is the guy who banned salt, wanted to ban trans fats, uh, the, the taxes on soda, which are always taxes on the poor. Anytime you see these uh, consumption taxes on meat or on soda or on cigarettes, those are taxes on the poor because rich people can afford to pay the taxes. Um, he's not a moderate, but this is the way they're playing it. I can't believe that the Democratic Party, which is to say the actual voter, could sit back and take this. I don't think they will. So what do they do? Stay home. Ah, someone's been reading my diary. <laughs> well, A, they're going to stay home. B, the reason why Bloomberg is such an attractive candidate to the DNC, the DNC's broke. Right. If, if this cat you know, just swoops on in and starts spending his own coin, he's spending coin that the DNC doesn't have. But so if you take a look at where we are, You've got in, in the top three, Bernie Sanders, followed by Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, followed by Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota. The argument that they want to make, both Klobuchar and Buttigieg, is that they're Midwest moderates. We live in the Midwest. They are not moderates. And they're not moderates no matter where they live. They're just not moderates. They talk about moderation. They speak in a way. They're able to couch the terminology. But they're not moderates. But what they're not doing is screaming at you like Bernie Sanders. So this party, let's start with the, the, the facts that we know after the first two, the first caucus and the first primary. This is a remarkably split party in terms of what they want. Although it seems that all of them are on the same page. So, for example, they all want some kind of government-run health care, whether it's Medicare for all, Medicare for all who want it, or a further continuation and expansion of Obamacare. Outsider looking in, if you're honest, they're all the same thing. Obamacare is Medicare for all because you've already seen the Medicare expansion, Medicaid expansion, right? You're getting to this place. It's what Buttigieg wants. He just wants to go at it slower. So the real, the first question these, the, the, that America has to ask is, how do they square the circle on the idea of the true believer, Bernie, versus the so-called moderates, Pete and Amy? And how are they going to do that? And then the follow-up is, where does Bloomberg fit into that conversation? Well, the, the whole argument about Buttigieg, let's take Buttigieg for an example, being a moderate. I read a piece this morning. Unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. He had a fundraiser in California, and some LGBTQ protesters interrupted, and, the, and they're, they're claiming that Pete is too moderate. And he's too moderate for them because he doesn't, according to them, isn't embracing Medicare for all, isn't embracing canceling out student loan debt. If that's what's considered a moderate, hey, I want some sort of government health care, but I don't want Medicare for all. That's considered a moderate now in the Democratic Party. That's how much the Democratic Party has moved to the left. The Democrat, yes. Yes, it's a total moving of the goalposts. The Democratic Party now considers Obamacare to be the centrist position. Obamacare is not the centrist position, though. It absolutely positively isn't. Uh, before we continue, I want you to know I just took another sip of my rum. We're doing the Diplomatico ambassador on the cube. This is absolutely stunning. This is It's so much better on the cube. Um, I... I don't know if the flavor is that apricot thing. Uh, I don't know if that is Nutella or that is banana. There is a Bananas Foster feel that I get from it. It is open. It is, it is full-bodied. There are multiple flavors happening, whether that be in, in the dark fruits or in that banana or in that 
in that kind of Nutella sweet. It's sensational. No, I could not drink it every day. This is like a dessert drink. Like if you instead of uh, hey, can I get some cheesecake? Mm. Uh, you know, if I can get some uh, pie or something, this if you want a drink that is kind of something sweet after a dinner, I think this is what would hit the spot. Yeah, this is this is quite wonderful. I mean, really and truly, I'm I'm very very impressed. By the way, the price on a bottle two hundred thirty three dollars. Yeah, this isn't an everyday run. <laughs> <laughs> This is not cheap at all, but my gosh. Oh, on the cube, kids. Very, very impressive. And if you see anyone with this trying to mix it with a Coke, tackle them, take it away from them. Right. That's obscene. Right. This, this is a reason to engage in violence if someone is mixing <laughs> right. this rum. That is really and truly terrific. I look forward to blending it. Blending it, mixing it with the the cigar, pairing it with the uh, the Davidoff Nicaragua box press that we've got right here. And let me just say, Fanimation, uh, fantastic uh, sponsors, uh, ceiling fans all over Blend Bar Cigar and all their locations. Ceiling fans are everywhere, moving the air around, and they come from Fanimation. Fanimation.com, incredible people. Uh, they build great ceiling fans with whisper quiet motors, blades that you can interchange everywhere to get the look that you want indoor, outdoor, for your living room, for your family room, for your dining room, for your bedroom, wherever, where you want to put it. Who am I to decide how you live? They're incredible ceiling fans, and they're based out of right here in Indiana, but they are sold all over the country in your finer retailers. Find them online, Fanimation.com. Fanimation on Twitter, Fanimation on Instagram, Fanimation.com. Incredible ceiling fans. And if you get one, tell them you heard about it on the Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast. Do that immediately, if not sooner. Michael Bloomberg and Hillary Clinton. So we figure, we understand where the, the levels of differentiation are. How in the world they can claim moderation when, of course, it doesn't exist at all. But people don't like the way Bernie talks. People are scared of Bernie Sanders. I was on earlier today, as we do this, I was on Fox News, and the conversation was about how the Bernie campaign is, is bothered by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the representative from New York, because she's out there stumping for him and was in Iowa stumping for him, and she did an entire speech where she didn't mention his name. <laughs> she didn't bring him up. And then she's talking about getting rid of ICE and Border Patrol and, oh, that doesn't play in the Rust Belt. You can't be saying those things. She's going off script. And my argument was, she's not going off script. This is what the party believes. And further, you hired, if you will, Representative Ocasio-Cortez to speak. They bought their ticket. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. (laughs) And when you have to quote the movie Airplane to make your point, I mean, what, what else is there to say? They didn't know that Cortez is a total narcissist and that she's all in it for herself. It's all about her, all about her feelings, all about where she is in the moment. She doesn't give a damn about any of these people. It's all about her. It's, it's like bringing in President Trump for an event or, or having a, 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 an issue that's a pet issue of yours and then being surprised that he would tweet about it. Right. <laughs> right? This, this is what she does. And it's... it's, it's a, it, I don't think there's any real, you know, issue here. And the party, I mean, Bernie's still going to use her because he needs her. She, she is a narcissist. She is an egomaniac. She is selfish. And her policies are completely and totally childlike. Her policies, the Green New Deal is a childlike policy. 
right? And you know what it's gotten her? Total control of the House Democrats. So clearly this works for her. And anybody who thinks otherwise is just, you know, out of their mind. They're just, they're, they're just it's ignorance and ridiculousness. But it also goes to a bigger story. That the true believers support Bernie Sanders and they won't support anybody else. They're not going for Buttigieg. They're not going for Klobuchar. So how does Mike Bloomberg think that a Bloomberg-Hillary ticket somehow is going to grab people in a way that allows them to overcome the deficit they're going to have on the, buy, on, on the Bernie Sanders side? Because I put forth to you, fingers moin, anybody who's listening, that the Bernie supporters, if, they, if, if Bloomberg gets to steal this nomination, if it doesn't go through a normal cycle and votes and delegate counts, etc., those people, no matter how much they hate Trump, they're staying home. Yep. They will not vote for Bloomberg or Buttigieg, et cetera. Well, I could see them voting for Buttigieg, possibly. But uh, it, it, it's, if you, you can't have a billionaire swoop in and buy the nomination from a party that the, the, the true believers say, oh, we got too much money in politics. We got to get money, in po- out of, money out of politics. And then he buys the nomination. So let me be a little more clear. I don't think the Bernie supporter votes for Buttigieg ever. I think they stay home. Buttigieg is not a true believer, and they're not going to support it. But not only will the Bernie people not vote for Bloomberg, I'm not so sure that the others, that that there won't be a a significant percentage of the others, even if it's still in single digits, that won't vote for Bloomberg. They'll say, forget this. This party is completely and totally corrupt. If you ever get on Twitter, and Twitter is not real life. Twitter, what's that? Right? Twitter's not real life, but watching some of the Bernie bros tweet... It's, it's simply amazing. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier when it comes to the, the Democrats have moved so far to the left that anything other than Medicare for all, canceling student loan debt, you're considered a moderate. I'm seeing Bernie bros say, why, why am I going to vote for anybody other than Bernie? Democrats are putting up nothing but a bunch of Republicans and Wait. Bernie Sanders. Is that what they said? Yes. I've seen it on Twitter. It's like are, are, Pete Buttigieg is a Republican. Yeah, they're Amy Klobuchar, a Republican. They're Republicans. And this is why when we talk about true believers, don't question whether or not we're right on this one. Guys, we're all right on this one. These people are true believers. Cynthia Nixon is an actress. She was in Sex and the City. She actually ran for governor of New York. She wanted to defeat Andrew Cuomo. She is a socialist. She is a socialist. And what she said is the reason Bernie Sanders is so important is that Bernie Sanders says, has been saying for years, guys, we're starving. We're only getting the crumbs. We're starving here. Why don't we go get the whole pie? That is an unbelievably violent thing to say. Yeah. Not your piece of the pie, that there is a pie and you should have all of it because somehow you know better what to do with it than, than the rest of us. But she is proof positive of this concept of true believer. Of course they think this. All of these socialists, actual communists, believe this. They actually think that somehow they have some morality to them, some value system that is better. They think they know more, and they are not going to come off it. They, if, if you see tweets, as Fingers is talking about, that say Buttigieg is a Republican. Buttigieg isn't a Republican. Buttigieg is raised by Marxists. Buttigieg is as much to the left as Bernie Sanders. The only question is how fast he's willing to go. Well, if that is your differentiation between Bernie and a Republican, what makes anybody think that these Bernie supporters will support a, a Buddha judge in a general because it might as well be Donald Trump in their eyes? There's a curious talking point that's arisen about the Bernie Sanders campaign, and I first heard it from Joe Rogan, and it's this. I'm supporting 
Bernie Sanders because he has been consistent over the past three decades right. in his messaging. I get that's a thing now. He, well, he's been consistent. Okay, he's been consistently wrong for three decades. <laughs> and you, but at least he's been consistent. So I'm right. going to vote for him. That that makes no sense to me whatsoever. He is completely committed to what he believes, and for that reason alone, he should be committed. It's a hundred percent true. But that is, I mean, it, it, Rogan broke hearts when when he said that. He he really and, and truly did. But you do hear this come up often that authenticity matters. And this is why Donald Trump is Donald Trump, because there's nothing political, even though there, is, there are many things he's done that are political. There's nothing political about him when he's talking. He comes across as solely, completely, thoroughly, epically authentic. Bernie does not have, you don't have to question if he believes something yesterday and believes something different today. Nobody has to question whether Bernie, you know, worked for McKinsey. Like Pete Buttigieg did. They don't have to worry about whether or not he evolved on a position. He doesn't, it's not like uh, Elizabeth Warren, who 20 plus years ago was a Republican, right? She, uh, he doesn't have to worry about any of these things. And that is very helpful amongst a generational set that believes authenticity is everything. Since they, of a younger set, and when you take a look at the exit polling, 65 and older went to Klobuchar in New Hampshire, but that entire young demographic went to Bernie Sanders. They've never thought anything else, and Bernie's never thought anything else, so clearly Bernie's our guy. There is no, how dare you evolve into a subject? How dare you think another way? How dare you have experiences that maybe have gotten you to a, a different place? None of that counts, matters. As a matter of fact, that is a detriment. That is not a plus. By the way, one other interesting exit poll number from New Hampshire. Pete Buttigieg, 26% people decided in the last few days. So if you want to know exactly how big the collapse of Joe Biden is, the Biden voters went to Pete Buttigieg because the people who had decided long before the last few days, the biggest demographic, Bernie Sanders, again, proving that the true believers are just that. Biden has been pronounced a front runner for some time now. He ran in 1988, ran in 2008, running now, never won a primary or caucus in his life. In his life, he's never won. Now, if you're asking what I think is going to happen, because I am a, a guy who has said publicly that there's no reason for these candidates to get out when you're going to have a contested convention. Take it all the way to the nomination. Take it to Milwaukee, where the Democratic National Convention is, is going to be. Um, but do you really think there's going to be a contested convention? I mean, oh, we hear this 4, every, four year, every four years. We hear, oh, it's going to be a contested convention. It's going to be a contested convention. Then it listen, comes around. And, did you and listen it to what happen. you just said about Bernie supporters? I agree with They're you. They're not giving up their delegates. But what Bernie happens- Sanders told Chris Hayes on MSNBC, it would be very divisive if the person who didn't have the most delegates wasn't uh, the nominee when the time came. Let's, He's already let's, setting the stage for the fight. Okay, the moderate base of the Democratic Party, and there are some, not as many as there used to be, and especially during primary and caucus season where you know the true believers are the ones who go out and vote for the most part. But say you have a situation where you have Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and then when uh, Bloomberg gets in uh, to the mix, and they keep splitting up that vote, and then, but then the true believers keep voting for Sanders... That could be enough to get him to the nomination, just because they keep splitting up the vote and nobody gets out. Say that again. Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, say they stay in for a long haul, and they keep splitting up the anti-Bernie vote 
to the point where Bernie still wins these 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 primaries and, and okay Here's up the, to the to the uh, convention. You are forgetting about the superdelegates. Well, that's forgetting about how the democratic system works. So it's the superdelegates that screwed Bernie Sanders in 2016. They are these people who are party officios, and they have they have a vote like a delegate. Like you win delegates in states, they have a vote like a delegate. It is Hillary Clinton who was able to secure all those delegates and therefore get the nomination. And what the Bernie Sanders supporters said is, we got hosed, we got screwed. So to fix that, there are no superdelegates on the first ballot. There are none going into the convention. But once you have the first ballot vote and there aren't enough delegates for any one candidate, everybody is free and the superdelegates come in. So the argument... Uh, that Bernie might rise to the top because these people are going to keep fracturing. No, 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 no. Those superdelegates are more likely than not establishment folk. They're never going to go in the direction of Bernie Sanders. But what I'm saying is you don't think that there's going to be enough delegates won in the primary to get him the nomination because these other candidates are splitting. No, not at all. The Amy Klobuchar voter would begrudgingly vote for Pete Buttigieg, and the Pete Buttigieg voter would begrudgingly vote for Amy Klobuchar. But both don't think that Bernie Sanders is mentally sound. Sure. The Bernie Sanders supporter will never think either one of them is mentally sound. So what they will do is they will figure out a way to coalesce around one candidate. They will not jump to Bernie. That's not going to happen. So then you're going to have a situation for the true believers to say, Pete Buttigieg, they're out there, apparently. If they feel like the DNC is pressuring Pete, Mayo Pete, to get out of the uh, the race. That'll be, no, see, no, 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 it'll be different. That'll be standard politics. That will be the backroom deal. That's what the cigar-filled room is all about. Of course there's a pressure, and they'll create a ticket. They'll do all sorts of things. You're going to get this position. We're going to do this for you. You get to head up the DNC. Everybody's making a deal at that moment. Which there may- are no true believers amongst the Buttigieg uh, a Klobuchar Which set. makes what you're saying makes the Hillary Clinton Bloomberg ticket sound even more ridiculous. Because somebody's going to have to get paid off to step out. To, okay, uh, we got to make a deal with one of the current candidates or someone that is outside of this current crop that progressives can get behind and not feel like it's either a retread or, oh, geez. That but why, person- why, why would that go against the idea of Michael Bloomberg? You just said it yourself. They'd have to get paid off. Who could do a better job of paying off than $53 billion worth of Bloomberg? Well, th- th- but what I'm saying is, is that there would probably have to be a deal made to get some of these candidates out, giving you, and one of them may be a vice presidential uh, nomination. Okay, you oh, g- sure. So what, what the hell are you paying Hillary off for? I, I, to me, that doesn't the, the, jive. The, the conversation about Hillary does lead one to ask questions, and the question is, where is her constituency? Why in the world would Bloomberg need Hillary who does that cancel out? How does that cancel anybody out? How is that not further divisiveness of, dear Lord, can't we get away from this woman already? Is she really the only hope for the Democratic Party for the last 12 years? I include Obama in that. 
Well, right? The, yeah, well, the other thing, too, is you would hope that t- you would have somebody on the ticket that could electrify, electrify a crowd. I mean, I count M- Mike Bloomberg's when I can't sleep at night. He gets in front of him. He gets in front of a microphone. You're three seconds away from a nap, and you think to yourself, "Okay, what can we do to jazz up this ticket? We'll bring in another boring, terrible candidate, and we'll put them together for have super terrible candidates." So, why uh, in the world would ticket. the Bloomberg team think that it's a formidable race? Which is to ask the bigger question: What do they know that we don't? Do we? Are we misinterpreting or underestimating the amount of Trump hate is out there? Are we? misinterpreting the lack of um, feel there is for a Buttigieg or a Klobuchar or a Warren or a Biden or a Tom Steyer. And I will tell you that the idea that there are people motivated by hating Donald Trump, that's real. The idea that anybody thinks these candidates are knockout fantastic, that's not true. The, The voters don't like their options. That's clear. But to say you don't like your option to the place where you're saying, thank goodness Hillary is back, I'm, I, I'm not a buyer. I would not buy that stuff. Well, how about this? You throw that trial balloon out there because the criticism has been he's buying all of his media. He's buying all of his media. Now we're having, we've had a 15-minute conversation, and we're not the only ones you know, either in podcast form or in the media who's talking about the Bloomberg campaign today. On a, we're recording on a Saturday. It's a weird time to drop it, don't you think? Yes. All right? It's just that uh, that is a peculiar. Now, again, the story got leaked. It's, I think it was Drudge Report that had the story, and Daily Mail wrote the story. Um, but still, but still, uh, you know, here we, are, here we are. And if this is indeed the case, it's going to create shockwaves. Now, something has to happen for this to be the case. Hillary has to be okay with it. Well, you asked me if I think she's okay with it. Do you think she's okay with it? Uh, there's not a chance in hell she's okay with it. The only thing I can come to is that she can say to herself, uh, and I and I got to check the ages. Bloomberg is seventy seven. I don't know how old Hillary is. Um, She's and, like seventy five, isn't she? Right. So here's the only. Okay, I'm I'm totally making this up, guys. I am absolutely throwing this out there. Here's how I think she accepts it. Are you ready? One term. Bloomberg only runs for one term, and then gives Hillary her shot. To be the first female president of the United she'll States. She'll be 73 this year. Right? So she'll be 77, 78 by the time of, of 2024. That's the only mathematics that I can even begin to see her doing, see her putting together. There's no conversation of Bloomberg as Trojan horse, get the election, then resign. It's President Hillary the way it should have been all along. Nah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not that Machiavellian. I can't, I can't bring myself to that place. But I could see, see the idea of the one-term thing happening. Well, Bloomberg will be 81, and I'll be like, I'm tired, and then there you go. I just did it because I, nobody said I could do it, so I did it. But my question is, this sounds like a desperation move in a way, because why on earth would you add someone to the ticket who you know will have her own agenda, who will probably undermine you any chance that she can to make herself look better? It seems like a desperation move to me. So... I, 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 I haven't had enough time to chew on it. And maybe it is a desperation move. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be political genius. I think we need a little more time on it. Speaking of time on it, the Diplomatico Ambassador Rum, where are you with this thing? Uh, I'm very happy with it. But again, uh, 
$220, $230 a bottle. It's not going to be in my liquor cabinet. But, Tony, anytime you want to you know, buy a bottle, I'll, I'll gladly share it with you. It's freaking sensational, man. Yeah. It is. No, I couldn't drink it all the time. I don't even know if I can finish this. It is sensational in how the, 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 the flavor profiles that are coming through without really an alcohol kind of feel. Uh, the dark, for me, dark fruits. Uh, that, that banana, that touch of, of, of nutty. It's sweet. Uh, it, to me, it is sweet to the point of oversweet. And that's why I'm wondering what the cigar is going to bring, the Nicaragua box press, and how these things do uh, pair up. That's All right. Let's light this thing. So this is the Davidoff Nicaragua box press. So this is Nicaraguan through and, and through with the binder and the filler as well. Um, it's, well, it's just lovely. This is a full-flavored smoke, or a full-bodied smoke, I should say, is, is what you're uh, going to get to. Um, you're going to feel the coffee in this. You're going to get a bit of floral uh, in this as well, but you're going to get those Nicaraguan things, those earths, those leathers that I love and adore. But this was a pairing done by Blend, Blend Bar Cigar, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, uh, Houston, and Nashville, and BlendBarCigar.com. They're doing the pairing of this cigar with the Diplomatico Ambassador rum. So really, it's about bringing the two things together because within the cigar, you... you, you, you I don't know if I would go sweet, but you certainly do have that more creamy tendency with the leathers yep. and, and things like that. And then you've got the, the absolute sweet that is in the rum. So this is about blending these two together. Now, the cigar we're doing is a box press. The box press comes out of Cuba as a way the cigar manufacturers, the cigar rollers, how they used to shape their cigars so they wouldn't roll off the table in the wind. That's why a box press exists. Only a solely exclusively. I happen to be a huge fan of... Of the box press, I just like the way uh, that that it feels. There, there are times where I'm like, "All right, this is this is bothersome," but in the main, I, I absolutely love it. So, very curious where the cigar is in the first third, first third, second third, final third, and how it pairs up with the rum. And now that the rum's been on the cube for a while, is that going to change how I feel about the combination and the connection? I'll tell you what, what I like about it on the cube, especially for a little while now, to me, when we first tried the rum, it was so sweet. And it's right. taken a little bit, you know, because it's watered down a little bit, it, it has taken some of the sweetness away. And now it's made it uh, more bearable for me. Will the rum bring out the sweetness in the cigar? Will it accentuate other notes and hit other notes? That's... That's what I'm curious about getting at. Um, you asked a question, Fingers Malloy. Would I spend $200 to see Guns N' Roses in concert? Guns N' Roses is coming to Indianapolis. They've got a tour. They're not playing one of the amphitheaters, which, all right, would be a little small for them. It's still Guns N' Roses. They're not playing what's called here Banker's Life Fieldhouse, which is where the Indiana Pacers play. So 18,000 seats. All right, I could see that. No, 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 no. They're playing Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Indianapolis Colts play, 63,000 seats. So even with, with wherever the stage is, you still have 40,000 seats. First, I don't believe they could sell it out. And second, no, I'm not spending $200 to 
to see the Guns N' Roses. But if I had to, I would spend the $200 to see Guns N' Roses instead of the $300 to see the communists of Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> the, the story with Rage is always the same. The music is absolutely incredible. They're really talented musicians, but they're commie schmucks. It's not even cute. It's not funny. They, they, have, a, they have a position they cannot defend on any level. The best thing about Rage Against the Machine is they did a video. Um, uh, they recorded it on Wall Street. And this is back in 2000, 2001. They recorded it on Wall Street, and they're there, and all the Wall Street guys are there, and these guys are playing, and the cops are trying to protect them and keep them out of places. And there's one guy holding a sign. You know what the sign says? What's that? Donald Trump for president. <laughs> you got to see the video. It's, abs- it's, it's not like he was a time traveler or anything. It wasn't from The Simpsons. It was, um, it's just absolutely amazing. Donald Trump, right there, Donald Trump for president. Uh, these guys are charging $300 a ticket. These, these socialists, these commies. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they're going to tell me about the problems with, with uh, you know, wealth gaps or, or, or pay gaps or whatever garbage they're going to get into. And it's garbage. It's all nonsense. I laugh in their face. If Tom Morello was here, I would laugh in his face and not worry about what happened because I know I can handle myself. That's how little respect I have for their political position. Musicianship? Right on, dudes. Unbelievable. I hate that I like Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> I hate, but the, the music, oh my God, it's so fantastic. And it, you're singing along with the lyrics or rapping along with the lyrics, and you're you like, oh, oh, trash. The Guns N' Roses thing is interesting to me because I actually saw them seven years ago, I think. They were at uh, uh, Banker's Life. So that was Conseco. Fat Axel? Uh, that was Fat Axel, and it was Bumblefoot instead of Slash. And first of all, I walked in, and you know they're notorious for uh, playing three hours after the opening act comes out. So they didn't even start until eleven thirty. But security was stopping people who were wearing pro slash t shirts, saying uh, it's under contract. You cannot come in here with pro slash stuff. So you know, once again, showing that Axel is just a complete d bag. But uh, you know, I went to the show because I I love Guns and Roses simply for Appetite for Destruction and. Uh, Half of lies, lies, lies. Everything after that's crap. Uh, but so he gets up there and uh, he starts singing, and you're like, oh, you know, there's, there's, uh, you could be mine, where he holds the note, you, go, you could be mine, like that. He gets up there, he's like, you could be mine, you're like, oh, he can't even hold a note for five right. seconds anymore. It's just sad. So, as much as I would love to see the original lineup out there, is it the original lineup? I th- Including the the bass player who's all drugged okay, up out of his face. One of them may not be in, but okay, just that's see, that duff. I mean, yeah, Slash and Axel together is all right. that matters. But you know, they'll play half of that crap from Use Your Illusion, and eh, eh. but the fact that he can't he can't sing anymore, he just that, can't do can it. Can he not sing anymore? I, I'm sure it's like. You know, based on if he's having a good night or not, maybe he yeah. can get through seventy five. But it's like David Lee Roth being back with oh. Van Halen. Is there anything there that you could say? And they got rid of Michael Anthony, which I never understood. Michael, the bass player, Michael. I thought An- he was the band. Well, Michael Anthony was the backbone for backup singing. I mean, he he was so good at providing the high harmony on so many of Van Halen songs, and it was just like just a jerk move by Eddie. You know, at some point you got to ask yourself: you kick. David Lee Roth out. You kick Sammy. Uh, you kick the guy from Extreme out. He was in right. one album. Gary, whatever. Yeah. His name is. At some point, you got to ask yourself: Okay, was it all of them, or is it me? <laughs> Maybe it's me. Yeah, it's him. But have you ever, have you heard him play guitar? 
Yeah. All I know is uh, the other day, my wife played for my kids Hot for Teacher. Yeah. And they're like, this is the most ridiculous song ever made in the history of mankind. <laughs> I hope she didn't show them the video. And you know what? <laughs> That's right. And they're right. It is a ridiculously dumb song. And nothing about it makes sense. Why Why are you listening to this? But was it not the hottest song? Okay. And tell me, if, if, if you hear it on the radio, you, you're not turning it up as soon as you hear the drums at the beginning? Right. Oh. Did you bring your pencil? You know, you're going to do the whole thing. <laughs> I don't feel tardy. It's just, it's so perfectly iconic. And they're like, this is the dumbest song. What's wrong with you people? This is quite literally the dumbest song ever. No, I'm not spending $200 to see Guns N' Roses. No, no chance, no shot. Nor am I worried about this Alabama legislator who wants to now pass a law forcing men over the age of 50 to uh, get uh, vasectomies. Right? Or any male after their third child. Her name is Rolanda Harris. She's a Democrat. Of course she is. Under existing law, there are no restrictions on the reproductive rights of men. So uh, she says this is, quote, meant to neutralize last year's abortion ban bill and sends the message that men should not be legislating what women do with their bodies. It also takes two to tango. We can't put all the responsibility on women. Men also need to be responsible. This is not the first time this has happened. This comes up every year or so where someone thinks that they're all super woke and they know things, and they're like, well, if women can't have an abortion, then men have to get vasectomies. There is not a comparative conversation at play between the two things, and ignorance is not fun to witness. In the concept of a vasectomy, you're telling a man that we're going to limit or eliminate the possibility of sperm being able to be engaged in an orgasm. (laughs) In abortion... You're saying it's okay to kill something that is alive. I won't even go into the idea of when life begins. I won't even play the game. Abortion kills something. We all have to be perfectly clear. If your argument is those two things are the same, then why are you allowed a driver's license? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not even cute anymore. These, it's, it's women being woke, and it's, and it's really... It's got to be upsetting for women when a guy like me says it's like women being woke because there are women out there like, don't plumb me in with that whole bunch of crazy. Well, and here's the thing, too, that a lot of people don't know is that men's reproductive rights are trampled on all the time. What? By doctors. What? I know someone who had a vasectomy. Who Wait, had, are they in this room right now? I, I, I'm looking around. Uh, I know someone who, who had a vasectomy who the doctor insisted I, that uh, his spouse sign off on it. Before he had the vasectomy. I feel we've talked about this before, but I forgot this story. The, you don't, wait, wait, wait. Wink if it's you. Wink, wink if, wink if it's, if it's what, what? Why would a wife... Ha, I, I really do feel like we talked about this before, but it still hits me as the, the level I'm of incredulousness. I'm guessing it's because there would be husbands out there that would go and have a vasectomy and not tell their spouse that they had one. And so... Why does that is the I, business of a doctor? I don't understand it either. If I'm single and I want a vasectomy, do I have to tell my mother? I, she I, wants grandchildren. She I, wants them desperately. I should have asked, but my, I didn't ask. My, my mother wants I mean, so many grandchildren fingers. She wants you to have more children. <laughs> That's how many grandchildren she wants. She, she's never been like that. Thank God. But, but this person couldn't believe that they had to have their spouse sign a piece of paper you saying... You should have gone to another doctor. Did you tell that doctor to kiss your ass... Four ways from Sunday, and then complain to a medical board and have their license removed. 
Who are they? Who are they? This abusive and intrusive nature. You know, this is one of the reasons this entire conversation, if you want to get super serious, people will not admit to their doctor that they're feeling down, that they're feeling blue, that they're feeling depressed, that they're something's not right. Because the follow-up question is, do you have any guns in the house? Right. And people feel they're going to lose their Second Amendment rights because they're, they want to talk to their doctor about these feelings that they're having. And I'm always a believer that if you're feeling depressed, having gone through depression, having been suicidal in my life, it is horrific as the day is long, and you should talk to somebody. I only wish I had talked to more people. I only wished I had furthered. Uh, I, only, I went twice. I, I, and, and I got to admit, just to say it out loud was very helpful, but I could have been on a much better path to quote-unquote recovery, if you will. Right. If I had just continued to work it out and I would have been a, I would have been happier, maybe faster. I would have been less detrimental to people I worked with. But I must have been a miserable son of a gun to work with or to be around in, in, in my 20s and in, in my 30s. My gosh, I must have been awful. Just terrible. I would apologize, but I don't know what to apologize even for. I was working through my own levels of demons. But people won't tell their doctor how they feel because that someone's get, they're going to lose their rights. And now here you are. I want to have a vasectomy. Well, is your wife okay with it? Who gives a damn if my well, wife is okay? I, yeah, with you it? know the thing is too. And again, I don't. This particular person I know, uh, I, I can speak for that person's situation. Can we situation. call them dingers? <laughs> but the person told me while they were going Dinger through this, Shaloy. that they were going through this. They thought to themselves, "Wait a minute, if a." Woman is in the middle of a C-section, and she tells the you know it's explained to the doctor ahead of time that she wants her tubes tied. I can't imagine a doctor saying, uh, "Well, listen, your husband has to sign off on this beforehand." Maybe that does happen. I don't know, but I the first either way it would be wrong. Exactly, what? people signing off on things is is nuts. So the- men do have their reproductive rights trampled on maybe not necessarily by the law all the time but definitely by doctors in either case what this lawmaker wants in alabama is attention yes right what she wants is 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 attention and i'm pretty sure i wouldn't want to be with her even with my uh vasectomy but i've heard people on the left make that argument all the time when you're you're just lumping a whole bunch of things together oh why isn't birth control some birth controls under uh, insurance coverage, but Viagra is the like, dumbest the same thing. argument in America. And I, I rarely use the words dumb or stupid. I really do feel that they end conversation. The dumbest argument in America, fingers Malloy, is the idea that somehow Viagra is proof positive of a patriarchy. First things first, men in the main who can't get an erection definitely don't feel like men it is part of their condition and if they can't do this basic thing they are very very self-conscious about it that little blue pill which i will tell you right now if you've never tried is incredible um has saved not only marriages but has instilled in men all across let's say the country with a feeling of, okay, you know what? I can, I can do this thing that men are supposed to be able to do. And if you say to me, well, you see, that's the problem. Men shouldn't think that way. Well, then you don't understand men. And I'm not here to try and explain it to you. I'm not interested in a feminist, a womenist based on, you know, the movie PCU or anything else thinks that it's weird or odd. Who cares what you think? You're just wrong. I'm not going to debate with you. I'm not going to debate with any woman anywhere. 
on the idea that it's silly that a man feels that if he can't get uh, an, an erection, he doesn't feel like a man. Well, he does. Well, it's important. And if you don't think it's important to a relationship, well, then there's something wrong with that relationship. Sex is a valuable part of a relationship amongst a man and a woman. I have to assume sex is a valuable part of a relationship amongst two men or two women as well. And if you can't do the things that, in, that allow for the, 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 the sexual relationship, it puts a strain and it creates a problem. And certainly you can have somebody like a man feeling that they're not a man because they're not able to do it. I will, I will not argue this with women. Well, there's, there should be no discussion about this with a woman because I, a lady would not sit back and listen to me pontificate to another woman uh, and try to walk her through getting through menopause. I have no freaking idea what it's like to go through menopause. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Go. I'm, I'm, I'm very in touch with, with all my, my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're hot. You're cold. That's it. That's not it. That's not it at all. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. Tweet him at, at all. Tony Katz. Dear you Lord. Ladies out there. What a day not to have April Gregory. Right. Can I just say, and by the way, the only reason, Tony Katz, Fingers Malloy, uh, the only reason April is not with the podcast, she might be making some guest spots here and there. She's running a congressional campaign. Literally the campaign manager of a campaign. She, she got asked and she's doing it and she's focused on that. And we, we love her and we get it. We want her to focus on that. We want her to do well. Win, be successful, do do the whole thing. I mean, she's a long time uh, operative in a lot of ways, and then she took a lot of years off, and now she's just back to it. and And people are like, "Yep, we we want to use her." Well, I think her priorities are screwed up. I was actually asked to be the campaign manager for Mike Bloomberg <laughs> for a lot of. My, I said, "No, I'm part of Eat Drink Smoke, baby." <laughs> to hell with you and your campaign. You know, I, good for April. We're very proud of her. I will not be uh, woman-splained to. On what it's like to be a man. I won't do it. And the, the, the bigger conversation here before anybody starts to email me is there's a difference between men and women. And I'm very, very okay with it. The abortion conversation is not it's what, what a woman wants to do with her body. It is about killing something. And that something was created by somewhere a man. So, yeah, they might have a say in it. And to a larger extent, they certainly could have a say in the idea of killing. Let's say, for example, you fingers Malloy kill my father. Let's say that was the case. Should you get the death penalty? I, as the son of the person who was killed, might have a say in that. Should somebody else in another state with no family relation have a say in it? But people have thoughts on the death penalty all the time. And I will tell you, I'm more and more against the death penalty because I need to have full DNA tests on everybody we have this technology that allows us to really make sure of what we're doing never mind the other ethical considerations or moral considerations but you should at least know who it is that you're dealing with and make sure that you have the guilt beyond the shadow of a doubt because if you don't and you kill somebody there is no coming back from that i hate the death penalty that is that is really dangerous for a society when you're like ah well mistakes will be made no 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 I didn't know you were anti-death penalty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't I want the that. government having that kind of power. I, you, you, you just, just if, if we – it's bad enough we incarcerate – It's a jury of your peers. Is it the government having that power? Well, the government enabling a jury of the, his or her peers to have that power to – and the state ends up doing the execution. So I, I just have a problem. We've had too many cases, like you said, where you've had wrongly convicted people 
even wrongly convicted people spending the rest of their lives in prison is terrible. But to, to then give the state the power to, to kill someone who was wrongly convicted, I just hate that notion. I, I just don't like the idea of the state having that much power. I never, I never took it in, in that in that way. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm down for for that philosophy. My the my bigger issue is we we got to be sure, yeah. Because if if you are willing to be glib about death in the death penalty, I don't talk to me about your abortion stance. All right? I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and and and, and listen to it, right? Uh, but I, I won't be explained to you about the whole Viagra conversation or about what it means to be a man. And, and I think that there's a real importance of manhood. There's a real importance about men being men and women being women. And that is not about you having your place. No, 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 no. I never said a woman can't lead a company. It can't be president. Can't. No, not saying any of that. I'm talking about the fact that there are indeed differences. And we work desperately in society to try and erase those differences. I don't want to. I think the differences are incredibly valuable. There are high school students, high school girls in Connecticut who are suing the state because in Connecticut, they're allowing transgendered kids to compete in athletics. So you have this boy who's 16 who decides they're a girl and now they're running girls track and they're destroying, they're winning every contest. And these girls are like, I came to compete. I did not do this to come in second place. And you're, what you're doing is wrong. The girls are right. And the transgender community in this case is wrong. If you want to live your life, I should not have a say in that. If you want to wear what you want to wear, call yourself what you want to call yourself, I don't get any say in that. The minute you push yourself and, and, and uh, position yourself to dictate my life, then that's where I have a talk. So, for example, you're not allowed to tell me what pronouns I can use. I'll use any pronoun I choose. And if I'm rude in your opinion, I'm rude in your opinion. I sleep fine. You don't get to dictate language to me. This is where Jordan Peterson is so absolutely correct. And I wish the best... To him, I've heard some stories about him not being well, some, some, some issues. I, I, I certainly wish him the best. Um, there has never been a time in English common law where people were compelled to speech. The idea that there are things that you should not say is fundamentally different than things that you must say, right? There's, there is the difference. And it, it's so beautifully said like that. And you cannot compel me to using this pronoun or that pronoun. The answer is no. I do not give you that power. No, you're not allowed to sue me for it. And I'll have this conversation anywhere, anytime. Those people are wrong. In the same way that if you choose at the age of 17, which I don't believe you should be able to, this whole idea that children can say, oh, no, I'm a girl or I'm a boy, and there's puberty blockers and hormone blockers given to children, I think that's child abuse. I'm not down with it in any way. They're children. They do change their minds. They're children. They might have other thoughts. Don't, you can't allow them to make this decision. It's just wrong. A child isn't allowed to operate a firearm because their minds aren't developed enough, but they're allowed to decide what, what, their, what their biology is, if you will. That's, I, I, can't, I can't coexist with that. But I certainly will not allow, because of a decision you made, that my daughter does not now get a right to compete. You don't have that right. Your choice does not mean that my child now has to live with it. They're your choices. You do not get to push them upon my children. So what's the hierarchy of victimhood here on the left? I mean, because you're going to see you've, you've got women, girls standing up saying this isn't fair, but in the hierarchy, transgender trumps 
so women's talk- rights. So, so you're talking about the world of woke, and, and that's for them to figure out. I'm with these girls, and I would like to meet the people who tell these girls that they're wrong. Because in that, I want these girls to learn the most valuable lesson. That the things they have been told are good and kind and decent are not. And the party and the apparatchik and the cultural movement that says it, you have to give in to this. You have to make way for this. You have to sit by on this. Let's, ta- let's go back to the Democratic primary. And let's go back to these people. I, I was asked this question. Uh, when you take a look at the Democratic Party who, who, and people who have, have been out of the race, uh, who are the biggest losers? Who lost it best? And uh, Politico had done this article. I thought it was a pretty good article for Politico. And I did it. And my number one was the Democratic Party. And it's still the Democratic Party. Because they're the ones who tell us that you have to be woke. They're the ones who claim that they're the party of diversity. They're the ones who claim that, that they're, they're the party of, of, of inclusion. And what have they done? They've gotten rid of Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Andrew Yang is now out of the race. And they pushed Tulsi Gabbard into a corner. Well, that's not very inclusive. Now, is it if all you're running are white men, a a white woman, and a woman who lied about being a Native American, right? It's (laughs) not very inclusive. Deval Patrick is also out of the race. It's not the former governor of Massachusetts, in case you didn't know who he was. That's not inclusive. That's exactly the point. What they claim is inclusivity is actually bigotry. These girls want to compete. And you know what I want them to do? I want them to be able to compete. I didn't say, oh, no, you're girls. You should, be, you should be in the kitchen. That's not it. That's the madness argument of which I take no part. But they're allowed to compete, and they should fight to compete. And these transgender kids do not have the right to decide, I made this decision, and now you have to live with it. Nobody has to live with but it. But look, look at the Democratic Party Day. You brought it up just a second ago. I, listen, Tony, I want to be able to vote for a Democrat. I, I, I'm much more libertarian than I, I was, say, 15 years ago, leading more libertarian, it feels like, every day. I, it would be nice to be able to have an option in the Democratic Party to vote for. But look what they're standing for. They're standing for stuff like this. They're, the, the, the thing that's going on in California, the, the war on the gig economy, and how... Oh, dear Lord, we should... AB5, it's what it's called. It's just miserable. And we have friends who are leading that fight in California. Kira Davis uh, um, amongst them. California is going to destroy... Is ruined people's lives. What they've said is, if you're an Uber driver, if you're a blogger, something like that, well, you can only do a certain amount of that, and then the company has to hire you on full-time. If you do it as a side gig, nope, that's unacceptable. The company has to give you benefits and everything else. These companies are saying, yeah, we can't hire you, and now these people can't make a living, and they made livings doing the the freelance work here, there, and everywhere. Freelance writers, freelance editors, uh, Uber drivers, etc. But if there weren't a Republican Party pushing back against this stuff, if they had total control, this is the kind of crap that they would bring nationwide. I can't vote for any of this stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, I get I, your point. I get your point. Well, in, in, in the case of, of, of these girls, it's they have to see what, and I want, I, I, I want for them to see what do we mean by fairness? What do we mean, mean by justice? What do we mean by decency? Decency could involve if someone who's born Steve decides that they're Shirley, call him Shirley. Decency is not 
Well, now Shirley gets all the first place ribbons that you had a chance to win, but because they are physically different than you in a way that gives them advantage because science says it gives them an advantage, that you have to just take it, you know, in order to prove that you're decent, you have to now be subjugated. I want them to realize that that's not true. As a matter of fact, that's not decent. That's indecent. And that is not a question of fairness at all. It's actually wholly unfair that one group of people, because of a defining characteristic, should be able to have dominion over another group of people. That's a, isn't that exactly the fight? Yeah, isn't that the horrors of slavery? One group of people having a dominion over another group of people? And the question is, as these young people get older and they get the right to vote, will there be a movement away from this sort of political behavior, or is it going? Or, or will they not equate the two, saying, "Well, I vote for these particular politicians who are championing this. Um, maybe I shouldn't support these candidates." Ain't that the ten million dollar question? If people can start getting to the place where they can differentiate on subjects, right? I don't want to be put upon. Someone could decide. I'm not saying that they're right. I'm saying someone could decide. I favor the right to free uh, or the right to legal abortion but i don't favor the right of someone subjugating me and saying to me that i have to allow this boy who decides he's a girl to run in this in this athletic contest now you could say to me abortion is subjugating i'm not i'm not the one disagreeing with you what i'm saying is is that within the democratic party today there is absolute fealty and really, I should even say, I shouldn't say the Democratic Party. That's not right. Amongst the woke. So until people recognize that woke is nothing, woke is broke, until they realize that and they realize that some things are indeed a bridge too far and they have to stop certain things and not be put upon because they didn't do this or didn't do that or didn't allow the... Until that happens, these people are going to live in hell. And I want this to happen so they can start differentiating and push some of these things to the side. There's a difference between allowing someone to live their life and telling someone that they have to uh, change the way they live because of somebody else's decision, right? And so there is where, man, I hope that happens sooner rather, rather than later. You know, there are people out there who desperately want a theocracy in the nation. They, they, they abs- there isn't a question they want a theocracy in the country. I don't want a theocracy. Theocracies never work out for guys named cats. Never, <laughs> ever, ever does it work out. I want religious freedom, but I don't want theocracies. I don't want to be told that there's only one way to think. I don't want to be told that I, I can uh, practice my religion, but really just in, in my house, in, in my synagogue. No, 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 no. Uh, freedom of religion exists where I exist, where I am in the moment. But that's different than having some kind of national conversation. Donald Trump recently came out and said that he is okay with prayer in school. And people took this conversation the wrong way. If you say to me, you want schools to have a set-aside moment of prayer, a moment of silence, I'm not for it. I'm completely against it. That is not what I want for schools. But if you tell me that a group of students want to get together before school and pray, or the football team wants to have a prayer before the game, that's fine. And there are people who are vehemently opposed to that, and they're wrong. They are different things. 
that the team has this prayer is fine. If you don't want to participate in it, don't participate Plus, in it. Plus, it's not mandatory. Right? If the team is now telling you, well, you can't, you can't play in this game or you're never going to get the ball because of it, that would be fundamentally different. But that isn't actually what's happening in, in, in when the grand scheme of the conversation is taking place. If a group of students wants to get together and have a prayer before school begins, let them. Let them. I have no issue with that. If the students are doing it and organizing it. If the school is organizing it, then no. Now, I say this as a guy who believes that students have no First Amendment rights. You have no First Amendment right in a school. None. Absolutely, positively, none. You don't have the right to walk out. You don't, you, none of that kind of, uh, of stuff. But it's different if a group of students get together and hold hands. Then if the school says, okay, now the moment of silence, take off your hats. I grew up in New Jersey. They would have moments of silence. And my parents were very clear. You walk out of the room. Don't cause a scene. Walk out of the room. The teacher says anything. Say to the teacher, you need to call my parents. This is what they've told me to do, and this is what I'm doing. Now, I was in fifth grade, and I was way too young uh, for for that. And I would have said to my parents, if I had known better, you should just go in there. Don't put this on you. Don't put it on me. But they were trying to figure out how how to handle this. I was never actually mad at them for it. Um, uh, right? I, I, I would have just, they should have just gone in from the beginning. We've had this, this talk before, but they were like, we wanted you to know that your religion is yours, it belongs to you, and these people can't decide for you what it is. And, and I get it, and I would have done it differently is completely and totally uh, fine. But the school, the, 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 the school, the school district, the state, whatever, well, they were just wrong. It's just wrong to have it as a mandated thing. Different than if the kids do it themselves. It's just as crazy to me that you have school districts and, and a lot of it too is they're just so scared of litigation that they want to, to stomp on all of this to trample it out but to me you got a group of kids that want to hold hands and pray before the beginning of, of a school day there's so many worse things that are going on in school today that, that that's what school administrators want to step up and stop when you, you gosh you see these awful it's videos. Not the, I don't know if it's the administrators it's the woke it's the woke want to stop it. It's 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 there. There are groups that are based on stopping this uh, of no value whatsoever. And I will argue there's way too many within certain political parties that's that want to do away with the very concepts of religion altogether. No, I'm saying that the, the administrators are doing it as a, a reaction to the woke army out there because they know, that, oh, okay. uh, you know, they, you have they, they, they have to step in. They, they're so scared of being sued over the littlest thing and all the bad press based on kids getting together before school. And if they're voluntarily holding hands to pray, what, what world are we living in? 2020 is messed up. It's it, this entire conversation is about the fact that, it seems that we're less free than we used to be. It seems that we're less rational than we used to be. And it's why I support these girls. And it's why this, uh, emb- this, uh, this legislator Alabama, out of Alabama is so gross. The vasectomies are not a conversation about abortion. I laugh at you. You're a, you're a fool. This woman is a fool, and I laugh at her. These high school students in Connecticut, they're my heroes. They are the kind of people I want to raise. They're the kind of people you want your kids to marry because they indeed stand up for this basic concept that they should not be put upon because somebody else makes a decision. 
I, I'm all, all about that. We're into the second third of the cigar. This is uh, the Davidoff Nicaraguan. Um, we're pairing it with the Diplomatico 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 Ambassador uh, Rum. What do you think of this thing so far? Fingers more. It's amazing how my tastes have changed since we started this podcast. I, I, you know, you said this is kind of a full body cigar, and to me, this is so smooth. It almost feels mild to me, and I, I have a feeling, you know, when we started this a year and a half ago. I wouldn't have felt that way. My, my palate has grown. I, I love this cigar. The creaminess, it pairs, uh, unfortunately, uh, my rum's gone. Uh, but uh, it, it, it was a, an excellent pairing. Again, I, I think that that rum, listen, it, it, that's definitely a special occasion rum. I mean, when you start talking about that price. $233 a I think that rum would be so good after a nice meal. You don't want to go for a dessert, you just, but you want a little something sweet. You, you order that rum, and I yeah. think you'd be very happy with it. Now, I did make a mistake on something. This does have Dominican in the filler, and I will tell you it started much spicier than I was ready for. It has definitely come into its own in the middle. I get the pairing. I, I do get the Sometimes I don't. Scar's great with this coffee, too. I really should take the cube out. I think it's had enough. I think it's had enough. Oh, I'm sure the cigar is great with the coffee. Um, it works beautifully. It really does work beautifully. What was the price point on this cigar? This cigar is probably about twenty bucks. Nothing wrong with that. In in, in this cigar, no. This is this is this is a well done uh, piece. You know, if you if you talk about like the cigar aficionado and other ratings, like in the ninety five uh, ki- kind of kind of range. Um, and the box press has really grown on me. I mean, my pick last year for best cigar was the timeless uh, Nat Sherman, and that was a box press. Right. Um, I, I'm digging the box press, yeah, and it takes a while to get used to. It, it feels better in the hand than when you're smoking it, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm loving the box press too. Yeah, it's th- this is a wonderfully enjoyable uh, um, mix. Now there are a whole new crop of cigars that we are going to start testing and playing with. You know, when, here at Blend, it's a, it's a Davidoff Lounge, so they're very specific on a few, and we've really gone through them. There are so many good things. So we're going to start experimenting with those and really getting into those over the course of, of this year. Some new things that have come out that are just people are doing great, great work. And and when I was in uh, New Hampshire, I was there for the primaries and I smoked a cigar everywhere. I was there for the Trump rally. I was standing out. I watched the thousands of people go in and and I was there when people were watching on the Jumbotron and I'm smoking a cigar. People asking what he's smoking. We're talking about this, that and and and, and the other um the question I get asked all the time is, are Cuban cigars really better? And I have to say no. That there are probably one or two Cuban cigars that are just simply exceptional. Uh, I have not yet had uh, the Bahique, uh, which is from uh, Cohiba, that I, I, I want to have because from every single conversation and every single review, it's the best cigar in the world. I want to try it for myself. You do not need a Cuban cigar to have a good cigar. What they're doing out of the Dominican, what they're doing out of Nicaragua, the things that are, c- are happening... Uh, from Honduras, there's it's just sensational in 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 what's happening in the growth, and I just could not could not be happier. So no, you don't need a, a Cuban. This is definitely not a golf course cigar. No, this is a cigar to really take your time with uh, and, and enjoy. The pairing is just absolutely 
Uh, terrific. And at 20 bucks, you can have a few of these in your humidor. I will say this about this cigar for a golf course. One of the things that frustrates me when I'm on a golf course trying to smoke one is I put it down a lot. I'm not one of these guys. I've seen Mike Ditka before on a golf course. He's standing over a putt, and the cigar's still in his mouth. Yeah, I can't I, do that. I can't. I can't do it Sherman Potter style. <laughs> no, but I, I like to be able to set a, a cigar down, uh, take the shot, and then put it back in my mouth. I have not had a problem with this staying lit. It's 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 been fantastic. Yeah, so oh yeah, that's we have about not o- touched this up once. Yeah, this that's the only positive I would say. Okay, uh, that's good for a golf course, but I think this is something that you sit back and enjoy. Yeah, you, you, you this know. is after the game. Yeah, this is this is after the game. This is great. You find Fingers Malloy at fingersmalloy.com and on Facebook Fingers Malloy Radio. You find me at tonycats.com, Tony Katz Radio on Facebook, Tony Katz on Twitter and Instagram. The Eat Drink Smoke Podcast. Man, doing great, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts. It's on Stitcher, Google Play as well. Apple Podcasts, write a review, leave a five-star review. Uh, we're fans of uh, the rum, the Diplomatico Ambassador rum. We are fans of this Nicaragua. This is, this is a lovely, lovely cigar. Uh, from uh, Davidoff, be sure to subscribe, and thanks to Fanimation. Fanimation.com, doing incredible work as our sponsor and Blend Bar Cigar. Indianapolis, Nashville, Houston, and Pittsburgh. Just the cigar lounge you want to be in. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke.